Good morning. It's good to see everybody out this morning. First day of spring. I guess that means winter's behind us. You know, everybody thinks that I've jinxed it. Uh, so uh, just remember last Sunday when we came in, it was snowing. We finished service and the ground was totally covered. And we come back Sunday night and it was all gone. So uh, be thankful we live in Michigan uh, where the weather can change on a dime. Uh, but be thankful, most important, if you're a Christian, be thankful that you have that relationship with God and that He's watching over us and cares about us. We talk about Job, we, we understand that he's an individual that was put to the test. Job was a very wealthy man, and then you can read on in that chapter, and you can see some of the livestock that he owned and the possessions that he had, and he was blessed with a, a family. But he was a man that was a righteous man. And he was concerned about his family and loved his family, I'm sure, just like most of us love our families today. But in that chapter, we can see where he's challenged, where God is challenged, basically, with his servant Job. And Satan tells God that he's only, doing, he's only good and he's only faithful because you've kind of got this hedge built around him. And so God allows Satan to do some things to, to Job. And Job, in a very short period of time, loses all of his livestock. And he loses his children. They're all killed. Some by enemies and some by nature itself. And in the end, we see that he rents his clothes there in that very first chapter. I think over in verse uh, 19 it says, uh, or verse 20, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. With what Scott, Scott read, I think what we want to understand is that there was something different about Job than many of the other people that lived in the world at that time. And I think one of the greatest compliments that could ever be paid to any individual is given in that chapter which would be great to hear if it was said about any of us. And if you're still in Job chapter 1, look at verse 8. It said, Then the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Have you considered my servant Job? That is the greatest compliment anyone could ever receive because it's a, lot, a lot of times we can all say, yeah, we're servants of God. But here we see God is looking at Job and He's saying, have you considered my servant Job? So God is acknowledging the fact that Job is His servant. And that tells me something special about Job, and that is that Job was doing the right things. And we see there in that very first verse, and there again in verse 8, what Job was doing. We can see that it tells us that he was perfect, that he was upright, that he feared God, and he eschewed evil. And I want us to look at those things this morning, and I want us to ask ourselves, does God expect that of us? And so when we look at Job, the first thing that we notice was that he was perfect. 
Now, what does that mean that he was perfect? You see, we look at that word and we, we mean that we, we, we look at it as to mean that he had no sin. But Job was just like everyone else. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So Job was, had sinned too. So what does it mean to be perfect? Well, we can look over in the New Testament, and when Jesus is talking about God, and He's talking about our relationship with Him, and some of the things that we're supposed to do, He tells us in Matthew chapter 5 that we're to be perfect like His Father, which is in heaven. Now, we look at a verse like that, and we would say, lowly me I'm supposed to be perfect like God how could I be perfect like God in God there is no darkness that means that he never sinned there's no sin never has been sin never will be any sin in God so how can I be perfect well when we look at that word we need to understand that that means that he's matured he's a he has matured spiritually that means that he has grown that he has become what he's supposed to have become and as children of God God expects us to grow and we can see I think also that his spiritual maturity not only involved himself but he had concern for his own family because he offered sacrifices I believe in verse 5 it tells us that for his own children because he was concerned about them and so I ask the question, does God expect us to mature spiritually as well? And I think that there's several passages of scriptures that we could look at. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, what does it say? It says, But grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. There Peter is telling us that God expects us to mature. He expects us to grow as Christians. And so I ask you, as you look back at your life, at your Christian life, when you obeyed the gospel, ever how long it was ago, whether it was a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, fifty years ago, have you grown? If God looked at you today, would He look at you and say, My, have you grown over the years? You know, when I was growing up, we, we'd see my grandparents once a year. And when you went down there, you know, after they slobbered all over you with the kisses and hugs, stuff you hated, at least I did. But they would always say those words, My, how you have grown. I'm sure others have heard those words from their relatives over the years. But I wonder how many of us could say that spiritually speaking. My, how we've grown. It's encouraging to me, and I know it's encouraging to others, when we see someone that obeys the gospel, one becomes a Christian. <clears throat> and we can see them growing and and. and branching out and doing the things that God wants them to do. It's encouraging to see that happen. But we never stop. We never stop growing. Because when we stop growing, we start to die. And spiritually speaking, we need to continue to grow. And that's what Peter is telling us here, that we continue to grow spiritually. And I don't think any of us ever get to the point where we can open the Bible and say, I know it all. I think all of us, when we open that Bible... We learn something every, new every time we open it. Because it is new. And so we need to understand that we're to grow. Look at what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. 
for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be fulfilled with a knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye may walk, might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being faithful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There we have Peter talk, or Paul talking to the church at Corinth, expecting them to grow in the knowledge of our Lord. How do we grow in the knowledge of God? How do we grow in the knowledge of His Word? Well, we have to open His Word and we have to study it. And as we discussed in Bible class this morning, it starts with God's Word and it ends with God's Word. Sure, we may have other aids that help us to understand words, may help us to understand who He's talking to. We may need someone else to guide us, especially if we're not familiar with God's Word. And there's nothing wrong with those things. We can see examples of that in the New Testament. In fact, in Romans chapter 10, it talks about blessed, you know, beautiful are the feet of those that take that gospel out into the world. We have that responsibility. And we see the Ethiopian eunuch asking the question as he's reading Isaiah chapter 53. Understandeth what thou readest? How can I except some man should guide me? He understood that he needed some help. And sometimes we need help. But we always go back to the Word like the Bereans and search the Scriptures to see if what we're hearing is true. Because it's very easy to be deceived. So that knowledge begins with God's Word. And it ends with God's Word because that's where the truth is found. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, Blessed are ye, are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. As a Christian, you know, we're talking about growing as a Christian. Do we still hunger and thirst for the righteousness that God gives us and offers us in His Word? Are we still hungry for the truth? You know, many times we see people obey the gospel and, and they're just on fire. They, 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 you know, they, they just want to go and tell everybody else the, the good news. But then sometimes after we've done it for a while, we start to cool off. And sometimes when we get older, we don't do anything. Do we still have that hunger and thirst for God's Word? As a Christian, do you study your Bible at home? Or do you only wait to come to Bible class and listen to everybody else talk? Do you have that hunger and thirst for God's righteousness? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it tells us that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God's Word tells us what we need to know in order to be pleasing in His sight, in order to have that home in heaven. And be thankful that He loved us enough not only to offer His Son on the cross, but to give us a Word, a Bible that we can understand and know what God wants us to do and how He wants us to live. You know, sometimes we say, well, you know, children come into the world and they don't have an owner's manual. Well, I believe there is an owner's manual. And it's God's Word. And it's for all of us. And we need to love that Word. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 5, it, the writer of Hebrews tells us 
beginning in verse 11, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belong to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What's the writer telling us? And as a Christian, we should get to the point where we can teach other people what they need to do in order to be saved. And we need to be able to get to the point where we can tell other people what they need to know in order to live a life in faithful service to our Lord. And we need to be able to tell people what the church is and what it means. We all should get to that point. That's what he's telling us. Now, that doesn't mean that we stand up in front of people like, like I'm doing right now. You don't have that talent, uh, uh, ability. And as we saw last Sunday, if you're a woman, you don't, you're not supposed to be up here doing this. But all of us should be able to tell someone what we did in order to become a child of God. The question is, could you? If you walked out those doors right now and somebody was standing out there in that parking lot and said, what must I do to be saved? Could you tell them? Or would you have to say, well, wait a minute, the, the preacher's standing there at the door where he's always standing, let me go get him. We should be able to tell people what they need to do wherever we're at. Because we did it. So we need to be perfect, mature, grow, and continue to grow. But then we also see that Job was upright. That's a way of describing that he was an honest and fair person. Not only was Job right in his service with God, but he was also right in his service with his fellow man. Job was an individual who didn't cheat people. He didn't lie to people. He didn't deceive people. He was fair. And he treated them with respect. And he treated them just as we should God. The Bible tells us to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And we need to understand that that means that we're supposed to out, be outdoing to people what we want done to us. And so if we were lost, we would want someone to tell us what to do to be saved. You think about it, if you were in a burning building and you didn't know that building was on fire, wouldn't you want someone to say, hey, get out of there because it's dangerous. You're going to die. Well, there's something that's worse than a, fire, a building on fire. And that's being lost for eternity. And so we want to tell people what they need to hear. They may not want to hear it. But our responsibility is to plant the seed. You see, God expects us also to be upright in our dealings with each other. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 39, it says, Master, 
which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And a second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I like the way the Lord puts that sometimes, where He tries to put it to make you understand how you want to be treated yourself. How many of us want to be cheated? How many of us would like to go and buy a new car or buy a house or buy something and find out when you got it home that it was just a piece of junk because the person just made it look good, made it sound good, but when you got home and you found out and you start trying to use it, that it was a piece of junk. We wouldn't want someone to do that to us. And so the Bible is telling us, don't go do something like that to someone else. You don't like it when people lie to you? Don't go out and lie to other people. Be fair. Be honest. Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. These six things that the Lord hate, Lord hate, seven are an abomination unto Him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift to running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. My son, keep thy father's commandments and forsake not the law of thy mother. Here we find in Proverbs what God hates. And lying is something that God hates. And it doesn't matter if it's a little white lie or the biggest tale you can think of. God hates us to lie. He doesn't want us to lie. And it gets back to maturing and being like our Father in Heaven. He doesn't lie to us. He'll allow you to believe a lie if that's what you want to do, but He's not going to lie to us. Jesus has been very honest with us when He tells us that there's two roads. One that leads to destruction, one that leads to life eternal. Which one are you on? In Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 22, it says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, and they that deal truly are His delight. All of us need to understand that we want people to be honest with us. So be honest with other people. You know, as a parent, we don't like it when our children lie to us. So is it okay for us to lie to our children? No. Is it okay for us to lie to, to God? Because God already knows the answer. And sometimes it's sad when you ask someone a question and you know the answer to it and then they lie to you because you know you've got them. Well, God's got us. Because He knows whether we're being truthful or not. And He knows whether we're being honest with somebody. And so it's important that we live that life that God wants us to live and that's being honest and fair with people. In fact, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, it says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which are both learned and received and heard and seen of me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. 
Here he's telling us what kind of things to think about in our minds. But sometimes we would rather entertain things that aren't going to help us as opposed to thinking on the things that will help us. The things that are spiritual that will help us to grow. Not only in our relationship with God, but in our relationship with each other. You know, in your dealings with people, would you rather deal with an honest Christian? And I really shouldn't even have to say an honest Christian. I should just be able to say, would you rather deal with a Christian or would you rather deal with someone who follows the devil? I know which one I'd rather deal with because they're going to be honest. Luke chapter 2 and verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and statue and in favor with God and man. Those are the things that God expects out of you and me. That's what we see in the life of Job. And that's why Job was referred to by God Himself as my servant. Do you have that quality in your life? Are you walking upright with God? We also see that Job feared God. We see that word fear, it kind of makes us think things that we shouldn't. Because when we're talking about the fear that we see here, it's really awe and the awesomeness of God that we see. Job had reverence and awe toward God, which is what's described in that character trait of Job. How many of us have gone out somewhere, maybe stood on top of a mountain, maybe we've seen some beautiful scenery that's out there. Maybe it's as simple as a flower that we've looked at and you see all the delicate parts of that flower and you stand and you look at that and you admire the beauty of it and you say, how did this get here? And then you look at the creation and you look at all of nature and you see how it all works together. And you say, how did this get here? Well, some people would tell you, well, it just got here some way. Big bang, big boom, whatever. But look at the design that's involved with it. When you see pictures from the telescope, the Hubble telescope, and you see the beauty that's beyond our vision here on Earth without that telescope. But when you see those pictures, do you stand in awe and realize that God created all of those things? How many of us, when we've seen something so beautiful as that, have stopped immediately and thanked God for His creation? And those of us that are believers, how many of us have said, how could anybody not believe that God created this? That this just happened all on its own. And so we stand in awe of God and His abilities and His handiwork. God expects us, you and I, to fear Him. 
In Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Brethren, when we see the awesomeness of God, when we see the beauty of nature, we need to realize that God is an awesome God. And that we need to fear Him because if He can create all of those things, and as I've said many times, if He can keep His eyes on the sparrows and, and, and little birds and He knows when one of them falls to the ground and He can look at your head and my head and tell me how many hairs are on each one, God is awesome. And when you're dealing with someone like that or something like that, do you want to stand in His presence unprepared? Psalm chapter 33 and verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. In Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Why is fear of the Lord the beginning of knowledge? Because when we realize, we look out there and we can see the awesomeness of God, then why wouldn't we want to gain knowledge of what He wants us to know? so that we can serve Him, and so that we can be pleasing in His sight. Proverbs 8 and verse 13, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and, to, and the forward mouth do I hate. Proverbs 14 verse 27, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Do I need to walk around you know, shaking in my boots because of the awesomeness of God. God has made a way for me to live a faithful life in service to Him so that I don't have to walk around and shake in my boots. Because I know, just like Paul, that I've fought a good fight, I've finished my course, and I've kept the faith. That's the confidence that you and I can have. But yeah, we should realize that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God unprepared. Because when we see the awesomeness of God, we realize that we're going to give an account of our life someday. And the question is, are we prepared? Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. And now, Israel, what hath the Lord thy God required of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in His ways, and to love Him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul? God wants 100% commitment. You don't want to play second fiddle to anyone or anything. And sometimes we look at those kind of requirements and we say, that's just too much. Well, Jesus wanted us to count the cost before we committed to serving Him. And sometimes we look at that cost and we say, it's a tremendous cost. But look what the Lord did so that you and I could have that home in heaven. You see, His plan came from the foundations of the earth. And we see it first mentioned when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And so all of that time, we see that plan going into effect. And then we see Jesus, His only begotten Son, who died on that cross for you and me. 
If you gave your son or your daughter or someone else, what would you expect out of those individuals that you made that sacrifice for? God expects a lot out of us. But He doesn't expect more than it's impossible for us to give. Be thankful that we recognize the awesomeness of God and that we do fear Him. It's sort of like the parent that's a good parent. You realize that you don't have to shake in your boots when mom and dad, but you realize that when you do something that they've told you not to do, that if they find out, there's going to be consequences. And so we may shake in our boots when we find out the consequences because you know what? We didn't, we didn't want them to find out. God knows. And He warns us ahead of time of what the consequences will be if we're not faithful to Him. Just like a loving parent warns their children of what the consequences will be if they're not faithful to their parents. Not only was Job perfect and upright and feared God, but he eschewed evil. That's a word that we don't really use too much in our vocabulary. At least I don't, can't recall the last time I used it except when I'm reading a verse like this. So what does that mean? That means that he kept away from something that was evil in God's sight. Job did not practice or encourage that which was evil. He shunned it. He stayed away from it. He avoided it. And how much better would our world be today if Christians would do the same thing? You see, too many times as Christians, we compromise with the world. We want to give in to the world and say, I don't want my children to you know, be shunned. We don't want them to be looked at in a different way. We don't want people to look at ourselves in a different way. And so we give in to the world. We watch what they watch. We do what they do. We go where they go. Instead of trying to stay away from the evil that the world has. You see, there's a lot of evil out there and there's a lot of people that will encourage you to do things that you shouldn't do. And Job was an individual who avoided those things. And how much better would our lives be if we would avoid those things instead of trying to get as close to those things as we possibly can? It's like walking to the edge of a cliff. You see, the problem isn't when you get right to the edge and you're teetering on the edge. The problem began way back here when you decided to go to the edge. And that's what we forget sometimes, and we need to be committed. And Job, I believe, was an individual that said, you want me to do evil, I'm not going to do it. My mind has already been made up. And that's the attitude that we should have in this life, that we've already made up our mind to serve God, and we're going to serve Him, and I don't care what you've got to offer. It's not worth my soul. And so we find passages of Scripture like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 22 where it says abstain from all appearance of evil. Stay away from those things. Don't associate with those things. You say, well, how do I teach someone the Gospel? You know, many times I hear people say, well, I'm only going there to teach the Gospel. I want to be a good example for them only to find out that that bad example rubbed off on that good example 
And that good example turned into what the world was. And so we abstain from those things. Why? Because we know that we can get sucked into it. And we can compromise our principles. Realizing that we're not going to... We don't want to stand out and be different from the world. In James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. A superfluity of naughtiness is another one of those terms that we don't usually use too often in our everyday speech. How many of us use that word in our in this past week? Maybe if you read that verse, you used it. Or quoted that verse, you used it. But what does that mean? It means wickedness. Avoid that stuff. Stay away from it. And remember what we read about Things that God hates. We live in a world today where people call good evil and evil good. And it's so easy for us to not know the difference ourselves. And that's why it's important that we study God's Word. So that we can discern the truth. So that we can teach people what is right and what is wrong. And so that they can see it living in our lives. <clears throat> in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, it says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometimes when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy communications out of your mouth. Put those things away. And you can look at Galatians chapter 5 and you can see a list of things that God says if you participate in those things, then you're not going to make it to heaven. And we don't want to do something that's going to cause us to be lost. And as a Christian, we need to be asking ourselves, am I faithful to God? Am I perfect? Am I upright? Do I fear God? Do I eschew evil? Do I avoid those things that I know that are wrong? That I shouldn't be associated with? And so you can read those verses yourself and you can see that list. And sometimes when you look at that list, you can see Christians that are involved with some of those very things. And the Bible tells us that they're not going to make it to heaven. That they need to change. And in passages of the Scripture, like in 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, he says, and such were some of you. They did some of those things in the past, but when they obeyed the Gospel, when they became a child of God, when they were baptized into Christ, they stopped doing those things. And being baptized into Christ washed away a sinful past. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, 
tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. When we look at these character traits, they tell us a great deal about Job. They tell us a great deal about what God expects from someone that is His servant. Being perfect, mature, upright, fearful of God, and eschewing evil. So the question is for us this morning, if God wanted someone like Job today to accept the challenge that Satan had presented, would he choose you? Would he choose me? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. Because I think that that's an important thing. Because you see, there's very few people in the Bible that are referred to by God Himself as His servant. And if I find that I'm not one that God would choose, then I need to make the corrections in my life that are necessary. If I'm not a Christian, I need to become one. And Jesus tells us how to become a child of His. He says, obey the gospel. Hear that message that Jesus died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He rose victorious over the grave on the third day. And then we're buried with our Lord in baptism. We believe that message. We're buried with our Lord in baptism. But before we're buried with our Lord in baptism, part of that belief is the fact that we want to turn away from our sin. We want to stop doing those things. Not enough to just acknowledge that we're, we've sinned. We have to stop doing those things. And that's what repentance is. And then we're turning, making an about face, and turning our life over to Christ. And then we make that confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Are we saved up to that point? The Bible says no. Because Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And Peter said, Repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. I can't be saved in my sin. I have to have those sins washed away. And that takes place in the act of baptism. That by faith we go down in that water and we come up out of that water a new creature. That's the picture we see in Romans chapter 6. And so if God's going to choose you as His servant, first of all, you would have to make that commitment to be His servant. To be His child of being obedient to His will. And maybe you are a Christian. And maybe you haven't lived like you should. Maybe you haven't been faithful. Maybe you haven't avoided evil. Maybe you haven't feared God. You haven't st stood in awe of His greatness. Maybe you haven't been upright. Maybe you're not truthful. Whatever it may be, make those changes in your life that you need to make. And if we're here to and if we can help you in any way, we're here to serve you. We'll pray with you and for you. We'll do whatever we can to help you. Because we want heaven to be our home. And I want heaven to be your home. And so this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.